Welcome to the Corner Office, where we bring you the latest news from the world of commercial real estate, the greatest voices in the industry, and the corporate chats you've been missing. Let's get to it. Great, Chris. Great to have you here. Obviously, we know you from Equites, but I think a lot more people know you from the field, Stormers Rugby, Western Province Rugby, captaining Western Province to Curry Cup win. Um, you've got your own accounting business, CA from Deloitte. It's actually quite like a strong career, which is surprising for a Rondebosch boy. I mean, it's got <laughs> oh, yes. tough upbringing. you're going to start It's there, a tough upbringing. Coming from Kreinberg, eh? Yeah, no, listen, I mean, at the top of the hill, we did look down on Rondebosch. Uh, I was just, you know, yes. I was just wondering how you managed to make it back up the hill, you well, know. It's a long I mean, walk. We used to... Um, we used to do quite nice things against Weinberg in those days. So. No, I remember winning most of the time. Yeah, yeah sure, sure. What sure. is interesting though is I I think I also played a game for the third team. I'm just surprised you managed to play for the third team and then make it all the way to captaining. Was it the quality of rugby in South Africa was no. down at that point in time? <laughs> I um, I definitely was a late bloomer. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I was by no means a, a hot shot at school. I, I played third team rugby, third team cricket. Um, Look, I only grew, no, but I don't understand this. I, I don't understand grew, this. But like, imagine this. So I can give you the actual stats because I, I still remember it clearly. So in matric, I think I weighed 75. Then I went to varsity, went through initiation and stuff there, and I went down to 72. When I played professional rugby, I was 112 kg. What? So there's a lot that's happened since school and, and rugby. And, and I also only grew taller after school. So it was a, it was genuinely like a, a case of someone growing, having a very late growth spurt, probably when I was 21. It's crazy. And um, and then slowly but surely getting into it. And then, you know, people have got different paths. In some ways, I think I'm quite grateful that I maybe wasn't the schoolboy star because I think there's a lot of pressures associated with that. Like you must go and play rugby professionally. You know, effectively, I had no options. I must go and get a degree. Yeah. And then fortunately, it built slowly but surely yeah. after that. But I've seen your brothers. I mean, they're both. I mean, everyone's. Yeah. There's length. My father. I said to I said to Nick we saw my, I said, is Anton taller than you? He says, Can I ask Anton? Yes, he knows. <laughs> so, so my two older brothers, Nick and Anton, obviously you know them both. But um, Nick is the tallest. I think he's just two meters. Um, and then Anton is like one nine five, and I'm one nine four. Oh. My dad's two meters, but we reckon he's with age. He's shrinking. He's a shrinking bit. a little yeah. bit. So yeah. We, uh, Classic. Yeah. No, but it's uh, all from my dad. Amazing. So let's let's get into property, and then we'll mm. talk sport later. You know, cool. obviously we're we're both in the commercial arena. Um, you're at Equites. I mean, you guys built beautiful buildings. Yeah. You know? We've looked at your portfolio over time and how it's grown. I mean, there, there is an interesting story about you know olive oil and then some original scrappy uh, sure. multi units developed by Andrea, and then sure. a portfolio, and then obviously acquiring the, the Interprop portfolio, which really I think that gave a lot of impetus to the fund. Of and then it's just, of course, the story from there. It's just grown and grown. And we see some of the biggest and best-looking DCs in South Africa built by Equites. So um, I wanted to dig into the olive oil story, if you know it. And then secondly, and that's Andrea's olive oil story. And then secondly, I want to understand a bit more about Equites in terms of the philosophy of the business. Sure. Uh, what they're trying to do. Because really the spec that's being built is quite a lot higher than most of the stuff that you see in the market. I say... Most of the stuff, you'd argue, all of the stuff, uh, mm. other people no, argue, sure. you know. So, yeah, I mean, let's let's chat about equities. So, I mean, uh, fortunately, it's just us in the uh, us in this room, but basically this afternoon's presentation is going to touch on effectively Equitas' philosophy, as you call it. And I think 
it's um it's underpinned by f- by what I would think of four main characteristics. Like when we talk about the baseline specification, why we're we so proud of it, and and you said it yourself, it's beautiful buildings. But there's a lot there's a there's there's a lot that goes into that methodology on on what we're trying to create for our tenants. And um you know that baseline specification is on its eighth revision, and the development team are keep on revising and looking at new ways to to improve it. Um, you know, the first thing we're trying so to when do... When you say the baseline specification, sure. so you're talking like our floors will be That's built it. to a certain thickness and a thin certain it. MPA. You know, we're going to have this quality so of flooring. Yeah, Exactly. We're going to have 15 and a half clear height and gotcha. we're going to have minimum 50 meter yards. Yeah. And we're going to have no plaster and paint on our on our exteriors. Um, these are what we would consider our non-negotiables and baseline specifications. And, I mean, you would know because you've been in long enough... Why it's at revision eight is because not so long ago our minimum yard there was forty meters. Then it went forty five, and now it's fifty. Clear heights also improved, and um, and yeah. So the, the the four main main characters that un- underpin um, the the specification that we're trying to achieve is the efficiency for the tenant. So that talks to the yard and whatever. The future proofing. So there are many examples of that. Maybe dummy doors. Um, you know, even our yards. Are often our, our, our dock side are often built in such a way that can be both on grade and our on grade are built in a way that can be retrofitted to to dock. So if we have a change in user after ten years, there is a way to future proof that. Clever, yeah. A lot of people would say fifteen and a half is essentially future proofing, but I think people have caught up there, and it seems to be you know pretty standard. Um, the main, practice. the main, you know, we did like quite a deep dive into logistics mm. a week or two ago with some of the you know top guys in the country. Um, Guys with PhDs in logistics, studied abroad, et cetera, et cetera. What they're saying is it really comes down to your type of material. So it's decide what your unit of measure is. Yeah. What what are you measuring your um, product in? You know, yeah. is it bags? Is it you know units? What, what what is it exactly? And then try and work out the best mechanism to actually fill that cube. And and then it comes back to in South Africa, what can we do in terms of our build quality? That's our floor build quality. Yeah. Uh, it, it, because as you can imagine, uh, uh, any of these hoist trucks or, or, or any of the material hand, handling equipment has to run on a super flat floor. Mm. Um, what can we actually do and what height can we realistically get to with the level of um, training that we have with the guys working in the warehouse in South Africa? And, and so those things all come together and say, well, in South Africa, 15.5 is, is where we need to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously material handling equipment that there's that knock-on effect, and it obviously becomes a lot more expensive the higher you go. Yes. But, I mean, I was at the supply chain conference last week. That SAPEX thing. Yeah, I the SAPEX thing, yeah. yeah. And, and what they were actually saying is that machine handling equipment's actually starting to drop because there's more demand for it. Mm. So maybe we will start pushing on that clear height. But to your point, obviously it's got a lot to do with the product and, the, mm. and what they're stacking. And then let me just go back. So I said... Um, I said the, the efficiency, the future proofing, and then the third one is obviously the ESG initiative yep. that we, we're pushing always, you know, looking at solar as part of our baseline, baseline specification and the number of other things that, we, that we're implementing, like our edge certification on our, on our builds, which means we obtaining at least 20% savings from an energy point of view. Yep. And then the fourth one, which I think I don't think we, we talk, en- talk enough about, and I think it's something that we actually – with the help of you guys, there's more to be said about it. And that's the fact that, you know, we go into triple net leases, which essentially means that the tenant is responsible for everything. And I think 
what we don't play enough on, and I think um, the guys that we interact with, the brokers essentially also need to start working more on it, is, is essentially a better quality product with better finishes will mean less maintenance and less repairing. Yes. We've got a number of those examples, um, but I just think going forward, it's something that we also, from a sales point of view, need to play more on. So getting insight from the financial director on, you know, what is their, in their current building, what is their repair and maintenance line, you know? Mm. Are they going to see that with a large panel floor, you know? When, with this repair and maintenance, do you yeah. have a team or do you suggest a team that they use to maintain or have a protocol? Because you can imagine the guy yeah. comes in or a tenant comes in, they are distributing cans or sugar or mm. whatever it might be. They don't really have a great plan in terms of how to maintain the building. And I'm sure you want to maintain to a spec. So is there a protocol that they have to follow? So we've, we've got a great program. We've got an in-house ops team that essentially can do an assisted maintenance program is what we call it. But it is, of course, at their option, but most of them tend to do it because they like, we want to be guided. Who, which supplier do we use or which supplier did you use to install it? Yeah. You know, when do we have to do this by? Because unfortunately, you know, these leases are long-term. They're 10 years at least, sometimes even longer, 20 years with ShopRite. And... To have the cadence of the maintenance is important, mm. um, you know, and it's also it's also quite important for the tenant to understand that if it's not done, that reinstatement liability just becomes higher and higher. Yeah, and it's it's not ideal. We had a situation in in, in Para and Cape Town with a tenant that essentially well, it becomes replacement. Yeah, if you don't repair, it becomes replacement, exactly. and that's like the highest and, cost you and, can. And and then you end up you having like a, a a legal fight and a grudge match after potentially what could have been a good tenure you end up fighting over often is quite a sizable amount because the guys have just left the maintenance. Yeah, yeah, and it's a relatively easy thing to do. Exactly. As and long as you stick to the plan. And, yeah. and like like you may, I mean, we offer the assistance maintenance program where the, the team will guide you and, and get you Got to you. and get you to do everything that you need to do. Okay, so, yeah. so effectively we're trying to build to a higher quality to future-proof um, the business. Um, you know, I, I mentioned, well, we were chatting before about Prologis, right? So yeah. Prologis, significant logistics fund Massive. in the US. Um, they have a similar sort of methodology where they're also trying to build the best, but they also are thinking about the environments that they're mm. creating for the people that are going to be there, you know? Mm. So uh, often guys will go and slap up a warehouse and, you know, good-looking warehouse and yard and it works functionally, but they don't start to think about what it feels like to be one of the people actually sure. working there, you know, let's plant uh, a series of these trees yeah. and make a nice area to be. And where I think the office has had to innovate in that space, especially over the last couple of years. It's more of a hospitality type function sure. that people are trying to drive into the offices. I think industrial was far behind. Mm. And what I'm seeing with the likes of Prologis and, and certainly Equites is that you're actually trying to make it quite a nice environment to be, to work as the person who's there day to day. Um, and I think that's an interesting take, given that offices are really pushing and then they're really innovating. No one's really doing it in industrial. So, I mean, it's it's clear that for our business model and for what we're trying to achieve with with the elements that I've mentioned already, one key element that plays to that is having a park environment. And we've seen it at Jet Park where, I mean, we know Jet Park's not always your, your greatest stock. There's a lot of older stuff yep. there. There's also very few park environments. And I think why that park has done so well is there you're offering this island of secure, nicely landscaped, shared services in an older node, and it's just flying. And I think that talks to your point about controlling what you can within a park, security, landscaping, 
and it's definitely it gives a nice look and feel to it. Does and I yeah, think, and I think you're right. I think there is a, a more demand for that kind of product. Yeah. A different take on it, and, and certainly a different kind of product. But InnoSpace has done something sure. similar in this, in the sense that they try and take what was originally a lot of little mini warehouses, and then they say we're going to take one big one, chop the warehousing up, and put you all in one really nice office with yeah. shared services and a, and, yeah. and a bit more of a hospitality type function in the front. It's a similar take, doing a similar thing, different grade of product, but but also I think a really clever idea and working well. I think it's recognizing that, like you said, that the person now that's going to the warehouse or the logistics park is looking for something more premium. Yeah. Okay, and then you guys have got a UK-based portfolio, which must be quite interesting because it is it is quite a different market, right? I mean, sure. we've got a lot of land here. They've got less land there. Although they're not terrible, but they've got less land there or it's certainly more premium. Correct terms of pricing as i understand it here i mean you can effectively finance a development so you get development financing roll up the interest ultimately you get senior debt at the end once the project is completed over there you couldn't really get that so the, the opportunity in the market was to use balance sheet to go and land bank or acquire sure. land there sure. build the development first valuation and then senior debt rolls in so it's quite hard to develop in that market so could you draw any parallels between the two markets? There must be learnings from I that think, side to I mean, this side to that side. And obviously, what we've seen is that, um, I mean, it's probably still a year ago, things change quickly. And I think that market isn't used to inflation and rising interest rates. And I think that's that's been a challenge for that market specifically. And maybe maybe it's not a year, maybe it's 18 months ago where it was a different story. Eh? It was really going nicely there. Um from a valuation point of view, from 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 the market in general, well, oh, yields must have pushed out given the hundred percent rates. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it is challenging. I think what you're seeing there is a market essentially that's very uncomfortable with rising inflation and interest rate hikes. Yeah. You know, on that point, sometimes dealing with, um, you know, like multinationals, and let's say this is their first property in South Africa, their first facility, and you you know we chuck in a seven and a half percent, we you know. They've never seen that in their lives before. Yeah, they've either seen flat, you know, with like the UK with the five-year yes, yes. reviews, or yes. they, you know, some of them go somewhat flat. Yeah. Um, so, so let's explain that. Just mm, you know, yeah, yeah, so, for it. so in the UK, you'll have effectively five years flat, and then you have a review. Correct. And then they go and calculate like some form of indexation, like it might be CPI, or I think that over there they have RPI or one of they've, these things. Yeah, you know, exactly. Various different metrics, but. Practically, they, they go and look, what did CPI do? They have a discussion about it and they lock it in. It's quite like a formalized Correct. program of escalation. Correct. Yeah, we sort of negotiate, okay, yeah, 9% escalation, the tenant says, oh, 7, and then it's a bit of a, an arm wrestle, and then ultimately we land somewhere, but we all know that it's at least a 7% escalation Correct. going upward, right? Correct. Over there, you know, everyone expects, oh, I'm going to have to go up 2% or something like that. And now it's just like 5% year on year. Yeah. So, I mean, it's obviously, for us, it's obviously all a function of the length of the lease and these levers that we're pulling on a negotiation front, you know, obviously starting rental, uh, escalation, then length of lease and trying to manipulate that to make essentially the IRR work, yeah. work the best. These are what, we, yeah, what we're working with. Yeah, because you'll get, you'll get funding at whatever, yeah. 2%, 3% and, you know, you're getting yields at sort of 4 5% type of thing. So sure. there's, a, there's almost like a positive cash flow is here. It's almost always the other way. Exactly. No land in SA. That was the other thing I wanted to chat about. What we're seeing at the moment is this massive demand for land. Sure. And just not enough land produced in general, but also at the moment even less produced because 
we went through a whole world event where no one's really done anything, right? So so now there's no real land. You guys are sitting in some attractive pockets of land, but even you're running out of land. What what is the what's happening to actually generate more land? I mean, what's the what's the insight into the market there? You know, obviously, so I, I think uh, you know Rian and Dre have got a great job on forming relationship with the Rasmus family out yes. in the R twenty one, which has given us access to good land holdings and and more. So we are okay out there. Um, I think the major challenge is, like you said, is that taking agriculture and getting it to that point is the challenge, and that's sometimes you know obviously the delay in in time. And I think and even service delivery. Well, this I mean, is the, not, this is not even enough services so, to start off with. So this is the thing, and that's where the challenge lies. So you know, to find good serviced land and great nodes, it's to your point. That's really where the high demand is. As far as equity is concerned, I think you know we are Meadowview. We're closing out soon. Jet Park will be done probably before the end of this year, and then we've still got quite a lot on the R twenty one. And that's yeah. obviously we've been quite bullish there, and I think it's done well. And we still feel that there's more there's more to go there. And some of your new builds, I mean, I saw you guys launching Spa the other day. Yes. There was a, there was a, yeah. a um, so start turning there, yeah? That's within Jet Park. And like I said, like... What's that, 17,000? 17,000, 17, yeah, yeah for, 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 for Spa on core. And then we've done a, another hazard store for Cogga Compass next door to them, and then for Normet, uh, a smaller. But it, f- it fitted quite nicely in that corner. We were actually going to go do that on spec. It was going to be a 6,000. Um, and then you know these guys came along and we were able to do a deal there. Nice. Um, and and that's been great. And I think that's what's been great about Jet Park is is it's given us more encouragement and um, uh, validation on on these park environments. Jet Park. Are we talking about the old event site? Yes. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. So on the right at the airport. Exactly. Yeah. And it just shows that I think a number of reasons. I mean, we chatted about the prologist model about creating nice environments that people feel that driving to a premium office estate or whatever. I think the security is a big thing. Mm. Um, you know, essentially, all our parks, what will happen is you'll have the main security gate, which can lock down at any stage. And then within that, each unit has their own security gate. Yeah. So you've got two forms. Um, and I think that's also a big thing. I mean, we, we saw what happened with the riots and stuff. No, we saw the riots. I mean, we went to a facility now in uh, Hammersdale, and yeah. the guys have actually put up water cannons. Really? To I go. mean, the, the, the fences outside are probably... 15 meters high i don't know they're significant fences and they've got water cannons outside there you know so you yeah. the, people are taking it seriously I mean, yeah. these water cannons are serious yeah, I mean 30, 35 meters away they'll knock you on your phone well, i mean when we're putting up riot walls and stuff really that's what they want yeah. some of our tenants so yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's and and tommy it's quite interesting because you know andrea sitting there must have been thinking quite far ahead because mm-hmm. in order to accommodate the the build that you're doing which is a more expensive build okay in order to accommodate that in the rentals, your stock needs to be trading at quite a good premium. Sure. Or you, you need to be trading at the right kind of levels yep. so that effectively you can accommodate or absorb. You know, it doesn't matter what you do, well, to an extent, but you can't just go and tell the guys, well, our buildings are 150 rand a square meter and everyone else is 85. Because there is, in the end of the day, it comes back to a, a number in the end of the day. People can only afford so much. So you've had to accommodate some of the expense of building a building to this level, but you've been able to do that because of the profile of your portfolio, Correct. all long leases and really think, high-end assets. I think to that point, I think repeat business has been good to us. Obviously, you've done a deal historically, and now there's more. TFG is a great example. They're not looking to go with anybody else. They like our product. 
they've seen the efficiencies that it creates. Um, but 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 to your point about Andrea and his vision and stuff, or two things I want to say about the one thing is is when we talk about like land banks. I mean, if you go and look at Terminal Park, so so uh, not it's Riverfields, right? Where yeah. we've essentially done Shoprite ninety two thousand squares, and we've done TFG fifty five thousand squares with with expansion. And if you think about that's on one parcel of land, right? Now you've essentially got to hold that size of land ready to go and you've got to carry that land and you've got to you've got to be ready so what he always says is you can't do these big boxes without holding a lot of land mm. um and that's also something that we're trying to tell the market as much as possible yeah, but well, you have to as a developer you have, you have to land back you have to land back otherwise you're not a developer anymore well and this is the thing and, yeah. and but but also the understanding that you know the size of that land parcel to take those two boxes with 50 meter yards all around it's it's massive and the other thing that we've been doing, and and I'm, I'm I liked your incident when you talked about our beautiful buildings, and I know the guys that you guys at Galetti get our specification and what we're pushing and what we're trying to achieve, but I think a shift that Exco have taken and then we've taken it like on the ground is like the education element. So really, don't just say it's a yeah we we, we believe we the premium brand or you know it's it's what uh, does that mean yeah yeah what does it actually mean and that's what like myself and Akur and Joburg and then myself and Vota in Cape Town have been having these broken engagements. We go through the specification. We're showing why it's different. You know, we're not lying. We're saying this is a standard. But this it's, not is a, it's not only that, you know, doing this logistics mm. uh, course that I told you about. They were saying to us, you know, guys, you've got to realize that the cost of the facility is somewhere around 15% of the total cost of the operation. 65% of the cost of the operation is the human element, Okay. Now, if that facility is designed so a human has to travel less in a day or it's more optimized, means that I get a 10% saving on 65%, that's 6% of my overall operation. If I get a 10% saving on the property, it's a 1.5% saving on the operation. It's yeah. fascinating. It's about what kind of, you know, to, the, to those super flat, flat floors, you can use this type of equipment. This type of equipment is more efficient than the other type of equipment, you know, and so... Every single, in, in true logistics management, every single metric is mapped out throughout the day. Trucks dominate. They they take um, superiority over the warehouse, etc., etc. Sure. Et warehouse management systems. And, and it's just fascinating that the construct of the warehouse, even though you might pay a little bit more for a, 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 a cross-docking facility, what you save as your operation way outweighs anything. And I mean, the other great example is a padded position. Mm. So, I mean, talking to someone like DHL, you know, they're not interested in, in GLA. They want to know padded positions, which is great for us because we're yeah. going to 15 and a half. Yeah. Um, so they appreciate the density or the, the, the volume that you cube, can yeah. store, the cube that you can store. Um, and, and, and that just also talks to the fact that when you're comparing the two facilities, if you take that into account, actually, you know what, it's actually cheaper per padded position. It is. Yeah. And and tell us about Andrea. Uh, he's I've known him as quite a meticulous person. Sure, uh, he's got like quite a high attention to detail. He's also quite an enigmatic character to you know, to passion. work with. You know, passion. Uh, so tell us about his leadership style and, yeah. and sort of his vision for the business. Yeah. My first interaction with Andrea was when I essentially I'd I'd had a, a informal chat with Leila and Rian. I mean that's an, how I got into Equus is a separate story. But my first interaction with with Andrea was, you know, I could I could immediately tell how passionate he was about not only the product, but this business. And like it really resonated with me. 
Um, a great example, I mean, for me, this is the best example I can give you. So I'm doing this presentation for you guys this afternoon. Yes. He spoke at the SAPEX last uh, two weeks ago on the Sunday, and I was there. Yeah. And one of the things he mentioned was about the box that we did for Premier Foods and the efficiencies that we created. We moved them from a place with a compromised yard, all the examples or whatever. And I, he mentioned something about the impact of them moving to the facility was that uh, the turnaround time for a truck in the yard went from 46 minutes to 16 minutes. I couldn't remember what that was. So I just WhatsApped him. I know they're busy in UK. I said, when you've got a chance, you know, like, please. Why don't you go back and look at the presentation? No, 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 no. Just, I, I knew he knew it. So I just said, just tell me, wh what is the, the time efficiency that we created? So he came back with that. And then another message, and then another message, and another message. And it was like six of the things that he knew off the top of his head that had happened since we moved Premier Foods into that thing. And it was just, he, he's so in the detail and so passionate about the product that he's selling yeah. that he didn't want to just tell me about the 30 minutes that we've saved them, saved them. He wants to tell me about the solar, yeah. the on-grade doors, and I mean the on-grade canopies yeah. and... And, and that no, it's, great, it's great working with a person like that. It's no, nice and, to have and, a and vision, yeah. yeah, and I mean, you know, I'm obviously not on Exco, and they are based in Cape Town, so for me... Is that a hint? Huh? Is that a hint? No. <laughs> <laughs> for anyone listening out there, like Rian so, and Andrea. So, so for me, any time I get with him and uh, out in front with on the properties and with clients is like golden, because yeah. I, I think... What's 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 really inspiring for me is how much he is in the detail on the build and like when he comes up to Joburg, obviously he's got many engagements, you know, as his responsibilities are. But he will always make a turn at a, a at the developments, go and look what's going on, yeah. and then and then he knows he's not. He phones Jean, he's phoning and Pilo, he's finding out why is this like that, what is that, yeah. and and it's that passion that drives him. He's yeah. he's extremely passionate about the product. Yeah. Okay, enough about property. We're going to talk about rugby. Okay. okay. There's lots of questions that have been fielded from all over the office. I'm Mainly sure Wes, Wes was probably fucking sending emails. Nothing. 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 He nothing know, Wes. Know, Wes knows everything. All the questions <laughs> actually came from Antoinette. Okay. Who is a diehard okay. fan and uh, literally knows everything. Okay. And could uh, probably tell you more about the game than you know. Yeah, so the game well, playing. It's yeah. Very, very possible. Yeah. Very possible. First off, and I don't know why this is a rugby question, but why do they call you Pickle? Yeah, it's not a rugby question. Yeah. Um, and I've often thought because I get asked this quite often, like I must uh, make up a story, yeah. like something with a bit of power. Yeah. But um, essentially, when I was like a lighty, I couldn't pronounce certain words like properly. And uh, you know, as older brothers do, they picked up on it and they started calling me pickle. One of the words that I couldn't say, and it just stuck. That's <laughs> just. I can't shake it. It's always a weird thing. Eh? And then yeah. your brother's Nando's. So Nando's, yeah, because he's chicken legs. Yeah, and worms. Worms, because he ate so much they thought he had worms. <laughs> but I've had mine the longest. I got mine when I was 12. And it's now, it's actually, it's taken a bit of a turn. It's now pickles with the S. Yes, and yes, Which yes. actually came in, a, it came in from John Dobson. He started calling me. He, he And then from there, the rugby oaks just... You yeah. tell them once it's not pickles, and then yeah. they don't listen. No, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah, but yeah. now it's definitely pickles. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that it bothers me. So you obviously captained the the promised team to winning the Curry Cup, which was quite yeah. exciting. Last time they won it was 2014. You won it yeah. in 2017, and obviously you were playing in between there and the Stormers franchise at the sure. same time. It would have been no, it was separate seasons. Oh, uh, okay, separate. So quite different. I mean, what does one take priority over the other? What is one club like versus the other? It depends. So 
in those days, what would have happened, there was different management teams. So your Super Rugby had a, its own management team and your Curry Cup had its own management team. So you would essentially, you would start the year with Super Rugby, yeah. you would finish that season, normally I think in May, June, and then your Curry Cup would kick off in July, August, and then end in October. Yeah. Um, so two different management teams, but, but besides that, pretty much the same. What does happen though is normally your Springboks won't be present for Curry Cup. They go to international duty, where probably why I got more game time for, for province. And then with Super Rugby, you've got the Springboks involved. Got you. Okay. Uh, okay. That's all obviously changed now. Dobbo's running everything. Um, and it's also changed now, though, because they're playing in the URC, which now basically runs at the same time. So and you were coached by Fleck, correct. then Dobson, then correct. Fleck again. So that was my thing. So yep. Flecky was my Super Rugby coach and Dobbo was my Curry Cup coach. I only did one Super Rugby with Dobbo, gotcha. but that was the year that we were coached. Quite different styles? Different styles, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always grateful for, for, for Dobbo. I wouldn't have come to Cape Town if it wasn't for Dobbo. Dobbo actually wanted me to play Varsity Cup for him in 2011. Yes, because you played a bit for Lions. Correct, so I did, yeah. so, but I did Marty's Varsity Cup Dobbo tried to get me to go to, with Kevin Foot. tried to get me to UCT, but I was stubborn because I wanted to prove myself at Marty's. Mm. In hindsight, you know, but but who knows? Um, yeah. From the moment I joined Dobbo and his, and, and his team in 2015, just something clicked. I really, I took a liking to the way he ran a team, um, big on uh, team environment, social, good balance, but definitely team first. Um, and yeah, it was a pleasure to work with him. I think... Flecky, where Flecky's circumstances, what people don't understand about Flecky becoming head coach, was that was Eddie Jones was supposed to be head coach. Uh, Flecky was going to be assistant coach. Eddie Jones then bailed, and Flecky took over. Uh, and why I say that's an, that's a very very important bit to understand. People must mustn't. I mean, I remember that. I remember that whole scenario. So yeah, they, yeah the players eventually said, you know, we want to have Flecky, so they voted him in because Gerb, then director of rugby, was looking at other options. There's that famous interview where Indy Jones said something along the lines like, I've looked at Table Mountain, I'm not going anywhere. The next day he was on a plane. I'm a <laughs> <laughs> to the yeah, 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 anyway, but um, the why I say it's important, but is Flecky didn't get to choose his management, his support staff. Uh, and that and, and that's significant. That's like, that's what Dobbo's always done. Dobbo's had his two guys, a guy called Norman Laker and Darby Snaman. They are in themselves a team. It's critical. And yeah. it's flipping critical. Yeah. There's no... There's no one, no one schnying behind each other back. They are one together, and they, they, yeah. and, it's, and it's proven very successful. Yeah. No, I get that. I mean, it's it's so even in in our business. Of so we have a core, you know, or cause of competence, and then from there you sort of build outward. You know, yeah. If you don't have people that you're used to working with, or just connect with. I mean, everyone connects with different people. Yes, it must be so difficult. Eh? Yeah, and 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 Dobbo plays 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 a premium on the connection side. Yeah, making sure that people. Get to know each other, spend time together outside of the, you know, the HPC, the high performance. And the results speak for themselves. No, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And now, Anton, your brother, obviously mm. took the decision to go and play abroad. Yes. You mm. took the decision not to play abroad. You obviously had your articles through Deloitte. Yeah. You'd started your own business, an accounting business. And there were two things I wanted to chat about. Why did you decide not to go abroad? Yeah. And then secondly... It's it's so critical, and you've brought this up before. What would you change in professional rugby? Well, I'd I'd change the career aspect to it in terms of 
getting people to think about their career and their life and life after rugby a lot earlier. Sure. And, and, and into that, I wanted to chat about Reboot. Cool. Uh, or Reboot Your Life, as they call it, yeah. uh, which is a, a, a great business that um, a couple of people you know are running and have founded. And so I wanted to chat about those three aspects. Why didn't you go? Cool. Uh, why do you think that's so important? And then with what the Reboot guys are doing, um, you know, what do you think about that business? I think it's quite exciting. No, I mean... The, the the answer, I did one stint at Saracens between a Curry Cup and a Super Rugby, yeah. um, which was great. Um, but it was in that time that by that stage I'd already had Walworth Consulting for two years, I think. And I just realized that the, doing an overseas stint, at that stage the business was too small for me to be out of touch. So I then said that I wasn't going to do to f- go to France or Japan or consider anything like that. The other thing is that because I backed Dobbo and I knew he was going to get the Super Rugby coach at some stage, I wanted to do a season with him. I see. So they were, those were the two main main things. Okay. Um, but but in saying that, I reckon I still wouldn't have done it because I was quite keen on staying in touch with the business in, in Claremont. Gotcha. As far as Reboot is concerned, I think it's a great initiative. I think your biggest challenge you're going to have there is getting rugby players to want to do it. Because everyone's mm-hmm. invincible. Everyone's invincible. Everyone's going to be a springbok. Yeah. Everyone's going to play till they're forty, and everyone's going to get the biggest contracts until you get that smaller. But not contract. everyone is Victor Matfield. Yeah, <laughs> no, these things change. Yeah. And bear in mind, Victor came out of retirement. You know, to do that. Yes. I think there's there's certainly a place for it. My hope is just that, and I and I think it is happening. I think there's people must understand as well. Our first professional era, this country, rugby, is still very new in the greater scheme of things. So the mistakes that previous professionals are made are starting to wash out now. Mm. I think guys, as professionals, are getting exposed to more and more of them. And I think they're getting forced to think more about... But if you think about it, even in the early 2000s, you know, the, the Springbok guys in the early 2000s, yeah. they were even a little bit out of the money. You yeah. know? The money only no, really sure. started to hit like... Sure. Maybe post-2008. Yeah. Level, you know? Yeah, yeah. And now, suddenly now, there seems to be a bit more traction. I think the guys are going to start doing much better. Um, you know, they've increased the salary caps at, at, a, at a franchise level, which I think is important and needed to be done. But nonetheless, I mean, people need to be thinking about that stuff all the time. I, yeah. mean, I know a guy, uh, so Damien Willems' brother is Ramon Samuels. He was on a great career path. We went to do a preseason in France, and he got a career-ending knee, knee injury, and he wouldn't have thought, you know, that was it. Um, but I mean, he's done great since. But but that's how quickly it changes. Yeah. But I, but for me, my my, my whole, sorry, just on this, my whole motivation for it is not about life after rugby. I'm convinced. I used to always think, yeah, Yo, you must have a tertiary education. You must be studied. That's bullshit. I don't think that anymore. I don't believe it anymore. What I do think is that you need to stimulate yourself outside the professional game to remain stimulated within the game. So get something that doesn't distract you, but gets you going outside of the game. And, and, and I think it's important because it's going to expose you to, to different things. Um, and it's also going to make sure that you're refreshed by the time you get back to the, back to the training ground. You know, for me and, and, and my sort of take of it is that, and from what I understand, and, and you know, I too played uh, third team rugby. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so we actually yeah, yeah. cut from the side. I too was 79 <laughs> kilograms, but the only difference is I was 87 kilograms a couple of years later. But <laughs> no, the, my sort of take of it is that when you leave the professional arena, the lights turn off. Like it's, it's, like, it's instant. It's like you're the last person there. You know? It's instant. 
and it's scary. You it's know, instant. and then and then what happens is the fans are seeing their heroes, and then they're not like they're actually not able to really sort of fend for themselves. You know, yeah. if you if if you look it's at sad. like the re- yeah, I mean, sad. you look at if you look at some of the examples, and it's just like crazy to to think about. You know, but and I think it's that you think you can achieve. Uh, it's it's unbelievable what you think you can achieve in ten years, okay, and how little you actually, or how hard it is to achieve something. But what you can achieve in forty is far more than you can achieve in just these ten. And sure. and everyone thinks that they're going to do everything in ten, but you're going to get far less down the line than you think you're going to get. To wrap up for me, you know, it with with reboot etc. Et is it's just for me, it's such a great opportunity mm. for guys to change the track of their career and and also to uh, engage with other people in that environment your statistic of 0.5 percent is like shocking not factual, what I mean? but i mean no 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 sure but let's say it's five percent yeah. it's still shocking no, it's you know what i mean it's it's, it's low like, i promise you it's, it's low it's a crazy number for spending so long honing yourself yeah. into into this very specialized um sport or yeah. whatever it might be yeah. And then, you know, you haven't, like, really thought that much further ahead. But I agree with you. To have something else that's going on, it also just makes you a more interesting person, right? And I mean, but I genuinely I, I stick by this thing. I think there's a lot to say about getting yourself involved in interests outside of rugby, sure. which keeps you stimulated and refreshed. Because it can be, it's a very small world, and you're just playing for Saturday after Saturday. Yeah. So to get, get, a, get away from that, I think, is healthy. I mean, on Reboot, as I understand, I think they're going to be partnering with the storm is now going forward, oh, which I wow. think is going to be great. Yeah. You're going to get involved there, and let's see how that goes. Yeah, yeah. some good guys driving it. I mean, yeah. I obviously know uh, uh, Paul Rout, I know Justin Milk. So Milky's very yeah. passionate about it. Yeah. Um, I saw him at a wedding, actually. Yeah, this afternoon. Huh, really? Yes. Oh, amazing. Um, so, yeah, it's great that he's driving it. He's passionate about it, and he's seen the need. Last question. Okay. Um, as you know, we're involved with the sale of Newlands Rugby Stadium, yeah. which is quite a controversial sure. sale of property. Sure. You live next door to it yeah. for years. I don't know if your parents still live there. Bro, that's where I go and sleep when I go back to Cape Town. Really? Eh? Yeah. Ah. No, I mean, right, right, right there. What's it, Palmyra? No, a Campground Road. Campground Road. That's it, Campground Road. What's your take on it? I mean, I love the new stadium. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I think the he has a good sort of segue back to logistics, right? Yeah. It's so much easier to move in and out of that stadium. It's it easier is. to go to the bar. It's easier to find the bathroom. It's easier to host all those people. And it, it's just a great environment around it. And then you look at the older stadium, steeped in history, but also just not really practical and functional anymore. You know, and When I say steeped in history, not steeped in history for everyone. No. Steeped in history for some. No, sure. So it's actually nice to have a fresh new stadium and, you know, People yeah. thought about the logistics of it, but yeah, I mean, it change, means something to change. you. People, people are resistant to change. Sure, I, I certainly was a Newlands fan, um, but then I played at the new stadium, and uh, I think there's a lot that that stadium offers. Like you spoke about the logistics element, I think it's a much easier stadium to be in to access drinks to get the commercials going. I think from there you've got many options that you can go to pubs, bars, and whatever, and a nightclub. I think that's also great. That's great yeah. I mean, uh, I don't think the slug and lettuce is as happy in New They <laughs> yeah, basically yeah. had to close down. And Caveau, right? Yeah. Caveau, yeah. And, um, but let me say this. So I've played 55, I've played in a packed Cape Town Stadium, I've played in a packed Newland Stadium. The 55,000 at Cape Town Stadium from a no- noise and feeling of atmosphere, is probably equivalent to 30,000 or even 25,000 at Newlands. Really? And that's a function of how close everyone is uh, and how locked it is. Oh, I mean, wow. And, and, and that's, that atmosphere 
unfortunately is not as good as as Cape Town okay, Stadium. So from a player yeah. perspective, yeah. Yeah, but I, I I'm with you. I think from a from from where the DHL Stormers are going in the future, mm. it's the right move. Yeah. I also I'd be interested to see how many sellouts, you know, yeah. each had in a yeah. similar time period, you know, because it seems like that 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 new stadium seems full out all the time. No, I mean, it's well, so easy for people to go rugby, to, yeah. which is what you that need too, to do. That That's too, the yeah. massive thing. Um, but no, I think change is inevitable, and I think it's a, it's a good change. Yeah. Let me just fix the pitch, yeah. which they're doing. Oh, really? Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it's been great to have you. Thanks. You know, it's, it's actually just so great to have you in here. We've had a long chat today. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you're a very focused person. You're a hard worker. You can see that you're bringing it through to the Equitez stable, and we love working with you. Yeah. So it's just been great to have you here today to have a chat. Yeah, so Thanks, Bruce. It's been a privilege to be honest. It's been yeah. really okay.